a movie podcast looking at the past, present, and future of movies and every fandom in between. We are part of the RetroLogic Network, which includes On Topic Retro, RetroLogic, and Retro Groove, and us, of course. We're not just a network but of podcasts, but we are a swell group of geeks on Discord. So I hope you do check out our RetroLogic Discord. And I am with my... Beautiful co-hosts. Um, I am with Aston. Hey y'all, how are y'all doing? And I'm with Adam. Hello, it's me. Yeah. Usually I'd have fancy and fun names, but I just can't think of them. <laughs> well, that's okay. You gave us a beautiful uh, description at the start there. Yeah, yeah. literally, I, it just slipped out. A Freudian slip. Beautiful. <laughs> yes. You know, I I only speak the truth. You guys are good-looking people. Oh, well. Oh, you're dashing, too. <laughs> you have a face for podcasts, as my mothers would say. You're the dancer, too. Like we call Thank you Magic you. Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, today is an exciting day for Film Logic, as we are polishing up our show. And that's right. We are getting rid of all that movie talk and doing only skits. <laughs> yes, yes. Work on our improv. Yeah, we're trying to go to Hollywood. <laughs> oh, JK, LOL. Oh. Uh, actually, no, we are going to do deeper dives, more hardcore chats, more factual information, more um, deep cuts, talking about relevant movies, shows, shorts, streams. Um, we're going to review stuff. We're going to get right to the nitty gritty. I know we like to have fun. We like to goof around. And if you're one of the three people who really liked us goofing around, I love you. You're beautiful. Don't ever change. Um, and also try to get, try to convince us to go back to that. Okay. Just try. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyways, you know, let's, you know, let's dive right in. Hmm. Um, I have an icebreaker for you guys. Ooh, hit us. So my three questions I asked everybody was, what is your best adaptation from a graphic novel? So movie from a graphic novel. And notice I use graphic novel and not comic book. So we can we got places to go with this. Uh, best adaptation from a book. Those things with words and no pictures. Apparently there's <laughs> movies based on them. Something. Yeah. And best TV show turned into a movie. Love it. Yeah. So I I'm I'm gonna humbly not go first because I want you oh. guys under the train. I mean <laughs> I want you guys to go first. Ah, uh, you go first, Adam. Yeah, you can uh... Whoa. So yeah. generous. I Thank you, gentlemen. Um, <laughs> guys, welcome, uh, I, I love this question. Um, and I think that's um, this question, I feel like, is uh, why I love media so much is just the, the crossovers, the, uh, the, the personal um, interpretations and how that translates into um, other pieces of media. Um, it's all great. Uh, 
so for for me my favorite movie adaptation uh of a graphic novel um my mind instantly went to to this one uh your guys's suggestions are all good but i think mine i think mine is my definitely my personal favorite and i think um it's a pretty faithful adaptation i think they nailed the casting and they nailed the visuals and i personally i think it's the 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 best example on the market um and it's the the first hellboy movie um the 2004 version um you know sitting pretty uh um 81 percent on rotten tomatoes directed by the wonderful guillermo del toro um it's it's just it's just everything that you want from mm-hmm. a graphic novel interpretation there's you know there's weird monsters there's nazis there's giant guns um it's wonderfully funny um there's ron perlman just delivers a a really grounded performance as hellboy um yeah i mean it's it's everything that you want from um you know a graphic novel retelling the the visuals in it are 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 great like it's it's a wonderful mix of practical effects and um you know cgi and i i think what really you know what really makes this movie for me is um just the the writing i feel like they really capture um all the characters really well i think hellboy is is just written great I think uh Trevor is 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 um really great. It was well well depicted. Um Abe is great. I think he's all the characters that you want um to be good are good and I feel like they're a, a very faithful depiction of um who they are in the comics. So um I don't know, have you guys seen this? How do you guys feel about it? Um so Adam, where were you? Mm. In 2004, when I tried to get my dorm mates at Houghton College into this movie, <laughs> and they told me, they told me it was meh. Me, oh wow! Yeah, and they said it was meh. Yeah, and they totally convinced me that like I just picked like a summer blockbuster that like was just junk food. And I, I, I had believed that I was the only person. Like, I didn't even believe that Rotten Tomatoes had my back on this. <laughs> and apparently they like this movie? Yeah, no, it's a it's a real solid... Yeah, it's a, it's a solid... What has it got? 81% on Rotten Tomatoes? That's crazy. Um, like... Yeah. Like well, I, I, mm. I was just saying, I was totally convinced that, like, this was one of those movies that I liked that was... You know, it was meh at best, trash at worst. <laughs> and like I'm I'm trying to think like I'm like maybe times have changed now that we're in a comic book era where this movie is more um like more people are open to this movie, but in two thousand and four people were like maybe they were trying to compare it to Lord of the Rings. Yeah, right. Something. I don't know. Maybe. Um I mean I mean, part of it, maybe it just hit me at the right age. I was, I think, 12 or 13 at the time. Um, So, you know, it definitely was right in my wheelhouse. Uh, 
you know, uh, reading comics and graphic novels left, right, and center. And, um, you know, it, it made, I think it was, I mean, it was a, as a box office success, is a budget of 60 to 66 million, and it made almost 100 million in 2004 dollars. But, um, yeah, I think really what what sold it for for most people is probably Guillermo del Toro directing it. This was like right when he was kind of hitting it out of the park with a bunch of uh, you know a bunch of a bunch of like sci-fi horror sort of films between like Blade and uh, uh, what was it Pacific Rim and. Uh, Pan's Labyrinth and stuff like that. Like he was just, he was hitting stuff back to back to back. And um, yeah, I think this is a wonderful kind of. He just he just captures the the essence of the the graphic novel well. And um, I think for I, I think the other thing that it does well is that for the people that liked the graphic novel, this was a faithful retelling. But also, you didn't have to have read the graphic novel to have enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'll let you continue. So that was your best adaptation from a graphic novel. Yes. Oh, we're going to go right through it. I love it. Um, Do it. My, uh, and guys, I, I respect, I respect your choices that you've made for your, uh, you know, adaptations from a book. You know, those those are all great movies that you chose, but you know, they they pale in comparison to maybe the greatest movie of all time. I don't I, I definitely yeah, I'll say it. It's the greatest movie of all time. Uh definitely my favorite movie of all time, but Return of the King, right? Like it it just it just has to be um uh it just has to be that movie. Um, apparently, um, apparently the, my two movies are like, <laughs> they're, they have to be from 2004. Uh, but I mean, what's, what's the, you know, what more can you say about Return of the King, right? You know, it's made a billion dollars in the box office since its release launches the, you know, it makes Elijah Wood, Ian McClellan, Viggo Mortensen, Sean Astin, Andy Serkis. All household names, Orlando Bloom, it launches a career. Um, I mean, it's it's just an incredible piece of movie magic. Like it's mm-hmm. just, it, it hits everything out of the park. the the special the special effects, um, the, the 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 sets, um, the the writing. Um, it, it really does feel like. Return of the King turns everything up to eleven, and um, you know, and it and it won basically every Academy Award that it could be nominated for, right? Like mm-hmm. it won Best Picture, Best Director, Screenplay, Art Direction, Costume Design, Editing, Makeup, Original Score, Best Original Song, Sound mis- Mixing and special and best visual effects um yeah i mean this is also one of the first uh pg-13 movies um i saw in theaters um i just remember seeing it with my dad when on on a school night actually um 
and it was it was one of the first times I felt as um, connected to an audience as much as I was connected to the movie that was happening. It was um, it was magical. Um, I mean, and it's not often that an almost four hour movie can capture the attention and the imagination of an audience. And you know, Return of the King is still the I think that the yardstick by what other you know, book adaptations um, are measured by. Um, by new means, do I think it's perfect? Um, I think that they, um, you know, I, I don't think it, it, it perfectly captured, you know, if you ask any, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, Lord of the Rings fan, um, you know, did they, did they miss certain things? Sure, they did left out, you know, Tom <laughs> Bombadil or what have you. But I think that's what, the essence of uh, what makes uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy so perfect is that it's it's such a great adaptation from a novel to a movie because you know books are able to just capture so much more depth and detail and um, you know the the Lord of the Rings trilogy was able to capture as much of it as possible but while being faithful to like a visual medium and um, okay. I. You know, and Lord of the Rings is just a—it's a pillar, right? It's a—it's a cornerstone of of movie of, of you know cinema in the last thirty years, right? Like it's mm-hmm. you know it's Star Wars, it's Jaws, it's you know Titanic, it's this, like it you know it—I I don't know—it's it, it's a perfect movie to me, and um, yeah, I love it very very much. So, Return of the King um, is my uh, favorite book adaptation, and then uh, another movie that I hold very, 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 very close to me. Um, another one of my favorite movies, TV shows uh, adapted, um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Um, I mean, it's it, it, it's just perfect. Um, the the sequence of John Cleese as Lancelot running up to the castle to save uh, what he thinks is a princess. And it's just like one long shot of him running, and then it cuts to these guards, and then it cuts back to him running, and then it cuts back to the guards eating an apple, and then it cuts back to John Cleese still running, and then like the back and forth cuts, and then it suddenly is just a jump cut of Lancelot stabbing one of the guards. That 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 scene is single handedly defined what I think is funny for the <laughs> last like thirty years of my life. That is. You know, the Monty Python of the Holy Grail has has fundamentally changed me as a human being. It, it's defined what I think is funny, and uh, it's yeah, it's it's just so wonderfully offbeat, and it's so wonderfully strange and funny. And um, I well and truly judge who I can be friends with if they think that this movie is funny or not, and. Um, <laughs> I I just love it. Like it it it's perfect and um yeah and I I think it's just a wonderful example of um taking a TV show and making it into a movie. It, it I mean it it's hard. It really just feels like an extended Monty Python episode really at the end of the day. Right. Um and I mean how can you go wrong with you know just let, letting Terry Jones and Eric Idle and John Cleese and Terry Gilliam and all those guys just 
running rampant out into uh, 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 the British countryside. I mean, <laughs> you 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 really can't go wrong. Um, and I mean, the movie is just so endlessly quotable. Like, my name is Tim, or they call me Tim. <laughs> like, I should have said, you know, yeah. I mean, it's 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 great. Uh, the holy hand grenade of Antioch. Um, I've it, it just goes on and on and on. Um, the the only other one that I thought came close, it was kind of a, it wasn't really a coin flip because I think I like Holy Grail a little bit more. But Life of Brian was a, a close second for me in terms of like all the the movies that they made. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, this one just ticks all the boxes for me. Um, your mother was a hamster. Uh yeah, it's it's great. Uh if you haven't seen it, why are you listening to this podcast? Go watch <laughs> it. Um, you know, of all the you know the, the, the two other movies I talked about, um this one I I, I yeah, I, this one's so wonderful. Um and it's yeah, it's just one of my favorite it's one of my favorite things. Um I don't know, how about you guys? Have you seen have you seen Monty Python? Holy grail. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I've seen it multiple times. Yeah, I've seen it uh I never get tired of watching it. If actually like in real life I actually quote that movie a lot and make uh jokes about it here and there. Like you said, the holy hand grenade and the <laughs> Knights of the Round Table, we dance whenever we're able. And uh <laughs> and then the uh and my favorite scene actually from that movie, that one that made me actually like cramp. I laughed so hard, my abdominals were cramping, was when he's trying to explain to the guard what to do. And the guard keeps getting it wrong. He's like, no, 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 no. I want you to, like, you know, t- not letting his son go through the door. And yeah. then you know, like, he gets like, I like, that is just, like, classically written. I'm like, this is just, like, poetry in motion, how they're able to, like, if they did this in one take, yeah, I will buy them all lunch. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so funny. It's a silly place. Um, yeah. it, it's just great. I'm, uh, part of what makes it so great to me is um how much the the actors and the writers really do care about the source material because they get all their references just right and it it honestly as funny as it is it also does feel like an extension of the arthurian legend right like it just it doesn't feel too out of place like they they're faithful to the source material um and you could tell that they love they love like the the you know the, the Arthurian legends, and it's it's just great. It's it's wonderful. Yeah, it was it was a it's a timeless movie. I mean, they did really well with the writing of it and everything. I mean, it's so it's very it's one of those movies that's very quotable, and it just has like it just transcends. You know, it can go from generation to generation. People can watch it. And, you know, the quotes can continue on with the new generation. Right, and it was it was a youth group staple. Like I don't even know why youth groups were okay with <laughs> like let's read the Bible and then let's pop in this rated R movie. Like, but it happened, and right. I mean, no it talks about cannibalism in the movie. <laughs> no, no one's asking for forgiveness, so it must feel right. Right, did this. right. Um, and you know, to the quote Monty Python, get on with it. So who's 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 next? Aston, I like your list. Can you go next? Solid. 
<laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. I actually it was tossing up. I mean, I wanted to put Hellboy on here, but I'm like, eh, I know one of y'all definitely will put it on there. So I know it'll make it on the scoreboard. Um, my first one is Akira. Um, I think pretty much safe to say over 50% of the people's that are listening to the, or people that are rather that are listening to this uh, podcast have actually seen Akira. Um, great adaptation um, into like a movie. I mean, the, you know, you're talking about the Holy Hand Grenade. I mean, that's in like, um, you know, another movie, the uh, Ready Player One. It's iconic. Well, Akira, that red motorcycle has become iconic. Um, people mm-hmm. just haven't even seen the movie. They actually just recognize Akira and that red motorcycle. Um, and, you know, I've read things that have said, you know, why did this movie like, you know, hit so well with people? And it's I've read, you know, some um, short little like um, essays on it talking about like it, the undercurrents of talking about Japanese culture and about how this is adapting from like uh, Japan rising from uh, the ashes of nuclear fallout of World War Two and then growing into its own right and power and then becoming a little bit too sure of itself and needed to be checked. And perhaps like just being, you know, a, a kind of a. Uh, cautionary tale to not let you know your new powers go to your head and um let you be the your own downfall and um so some of the um some of the uh, messages that are in there is what kind of propels it past just being a just you know visual anime uh movie that is as has a compelling plot that you know you'd like to follow but um i mean definitely it's, it's kira's been around so much that i feel like you know i mean i just mm-hmm. if i talk more about it it would be like landing on ears of people that definitely have, have know of it and heard about it and seen it. And, um, yes, yeah, it's a solid, I mean, it's, if anyone says like, what anime should I watch starting out with, you know, as far as like, you know, give me five, I would definitely have this one on the list of Kira for sure. As far as a, the movie anime it's not a TV series, but a movie of, a, a collection of, uh, anime movies. And then for the, um, best adaptation for a book, um, I went with Ender's game. Um, this one, uh, actually they stay really true to, uh, the, the book. Um, I've read not all of the books. Um, I've read, um, you know, at least the first four, uh, that are out there and, you know, they really did lockstep with how the actual, uh, the book reads as far as like the fomix or the buggers, you know, the book picking up, uh, 50 years after their first attack on earth. And you get to meet all the uh, the major characters. What was interesting, um, what I liked about it was like with the actual the movie is because in the book, you know, it describes them as like buggers, um, you know, and describes them to a point of like insectoid things. So you know, it's always interesting when you read a book and you get, you know, there's aliens involved or creature involved or something like this. And we all have our imagination. So we all visualize things. But then we actually get to see it on produced on film and on screen. And so you actually get to visually see it. Yes, that was another reason why I was like really wanting to go see this movie because I read these books and so I had some like a grounding in like the uh, culture of these uh, books and like their storyline and I wanted to see what these things were going to look like and then like you know the dream sequence you know I wanted when he's chasing the mouse I wanted to see what I was chasing the mouse I want to see what that was about and mm-hmm. I see that represented visually and um, they did really really well as far as uh again like i said just falling out and i mean i was very surprised they actually got uh harrison ford in it and um you know they got bing kingsley and so they got some you know some notable names to come on board so you know i wish the movie would have had better box office success because i wanted it to continue on um to follow the other books at least get to like you know the hive queen and the hegemon but um 
you know, because you can actually see some more of the characters from the first movie and how they can have some of their redemption um, in later books. But unfortunately, you know, um, not everybody reads the book and is in love with the book and wants to go see the movie. So it shows in the ticket sales. It didn't uh, it didn't carry over into strong t- uh, sales enough to uh, green light a uh, part two. I have often said that like, if I was actually getting into uh, video game development, I would actually probably would be no chance I'd be able to secure it. But I'd like to secure the actual uh, rights to these uh make these uh these books into like a video game because I would think this would be a very good kind of um you know not an RPG but a platformer type uh video game to play to go through these books because there's a lot of it's a great storyline and I think it would adapt to a video game really well. Yeah. You know Orson Scott Card, the author, he has some great stuff and I am so surprised that uh Hollywood hasn't jumped all over his stuff. I mean, he's not as iconic as Stephen King, but he needs at least three more movies. Just judging by his work. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I mean, I think Stephen King, I mean, I felt like for a while there, especially in the 90s, um, I think whatever Stephen King put pen to paper, it got green-lighted into a movie. I don't know if he has some behind-the-deal contractual, you know, obligations or anything going on, but... um. Yeah, a lot of stuff was getting green-lighted. Um, Dean Coots was getting a lot of stuff green-lighted. But yeah, Orange Scott Card, I would like to see more of his stuff get uh, get picked up. Mm-hmm. And yeah, then, I mean, yeah, I, unfortunately, I think it's... Uh, it, I think it, it came out a little too early. Um, you know, I, don't, I don't know if audiences were necessarily quite ready for it. I think if it came out post-Dune... Um, people would be more interested. Um, I don't know. I, I, yeah, it's for those that love the book. I think that they enjoy Ender's Game as a movie. Um, the visuals I think are great. The cast are great, like you were saying. But it it does it does just feel like it came out like ten years too early. Um, and which is unfortunate because I think. You know, if if it was given, you know, a budget like um, a budget or care like Dune is getting, or you know, Blade Runner, um, this could really be this could really be something. But yeah, you know, that, that... it came out way too close to that that awful movie, um, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, and <laughs> yeah. I think maybe people mentally said, oh. That's just the same movie. Yeah, just compartmentalized it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, uh, so much like that. The um, yeah. I mean, you know, timing can be sometimes what does you in. I mean, because if you compare it to like, I was like at times I've thought about it. I'm like, well, you know, is it because it mainly like it revolves around like a cast of youth, and I'm like, you know, and it's not like you know, every minute pacing of action 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 i'm like no not really that can't do it because you know i mean let's look at hunger games i mean that was like around a lot of youth you know and it's not every minute it's like shooting and looting stabbing and grabbing you know and it it took off so yeah it could be just be timing but um but for the uh well for my tv show turned into a movie that one makes the timing revolve around it to a level now. And that would be uh, Mission Impossible. Um, I just, the movies keep hitting. Um, you know, when I think like, yeah, how can they make the next one better? Um, they do it. I mean, you know, if you're not a Tom Cruise 
fan, then I mean, you're probably a Simon Pegg fan on some level. And um, so, I mean, it definitely it's a great chemistry of cast, and uh, they do really well with the plot writing. Uh, Henry Cavill was, you know, in one of them. So there you go. You got your Superman in one of them, and and they're to a point individualized, except for I think two of them. I think have actually been yeah connected. They've had the cast carry over. Yep, they have. Now I'm thinking about it, and um, but they've really they've really done really really well with it. I think the first one when I first saw the first one, I thought you know it was it's it's good, and you know, and I was like okay, you know, it, it's got some some weakness to it. You know, I'm not sure this might just be just a one off. But when they came out with the second one, and one of my I love this director, um, John Woo took John over. Woo. Yeah, I was like oh well, this is so good. I have seen the second one. I. I, I quit probably counting after like 15 or 20 times. And, um, and then that was like, after that, that was when they kind of had me hooked and I was like, really started watching the series and, you know, and I'm not watching it because Tom Cruise does his own stunts. And I'm like, let me see how he's going to kill himself, try and kill himself this movie. I mean, it's just, you know, props for that, um, for trying to be authenticity on the screen. But, um, I mean, it's just the storyline's really good. The action sequences are really good. You got, you know, if you're a box checker, you got your car chases, you know, you got your your foot chases, you've got your uh, gunfire exchange, you've got your twist oh, in the no. plot line. Yeah. I mean, it's, you got like your, uh, heck, you even got your doppelgangers and you've got your, you know, who's who being revealed as they rip off the mask. And so it is just, um, you know, it's getting to a point now where probably everybody may have, if they're a fan of the series, may have their, their favorites. And, um, you know, mine, I would, I would probably, as again, hold, hold two pretty high up there. But, um, but again, it's a really great adaptation. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, no, those are, those are solid. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I do like the, the early, the early one, two, one through three out of the, they're good. Um, but it just feels like the, the Christopher McQuarrie ones, the recent ones, the, you know, the recent one with the, the, the turnover of the, the, the cast, just they just feel like a, on a different level. Um, it, it, I don't know. It's the, the same director that did, um, well, funnily enough, like all the recent Tom Cruise vehicles, like uh, Top Gun and uh, Edge, of, Edge of Tomorrow. Um, yeah, it, they just feel, yeah, the, the recent ones literally are just like how, how, much of a bigger thing can we make Tom Cruise jump off of? And you're just like, <laughs> they're they're running out of things to jump off of. Yeah. Well, they could pick up the Edge of Tomorrow more if they want, because that's actually a graphic novel, and they can actually run with that more if they wanted to. Yeah. But uh, there's that one's just a one-off. <laughs> there's a joke that uh, Tom Cruise's biggest stunt is performing next to an actress that's taller than him. <laughs> so every, movie, yeah. every movie he's ever been in yeah. he has amazing balance to stand on boxes yeah i mean imagine imagine being so well known that people don't care that your height is like uh like not anything like the hero that you're portraying like he's in that jack reacher yeah i'm I hope I'm getting that right name. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not Jack Ryan, Jack Reacher. Yeah. And they said, well, you know, how about a guy who's 5'4"? <laughs> That's amazing that he made it. Right. <laughs> he could um, 
audition for Ariel and get the mermaid role if he wanted it. (laughs) Ain't that the truth? Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, I was just looking up Tom Cruise. Apparently he was born in Syracuse, New York. Look at that. Oh, there y'all go. Y'all can actually go and uh, go. Yeah, you y'all can go visit him. <laughs> His hometown. <laughs> His way he grew up. That's great. Put it on the bucket list. Put it on what the bucket you? list. What about okay. your list, Mike? Yeah, Mike, Mike, Mike. Best adaptation from a graphic novel. Surprise! It is not a DC work. <laughs> I know you're thinking <laughs> Mike's going to pick something from Justice League or Batman or something, but. Actually, before I read the comic book, um, Road to Perdition came out in theaters, and my choice was either like the very serious Road to Perdition movie or that Dana Carvey movie, Master of Disguise. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the choices, and I am so glad I picked Road to Perdition. Mm. Um, Like... This was in an era where Tom Cruise could do, or not Tom Cruise. Um, <laughs> you got him on your mind now. <laughs> no, I'm thinking about him. <laughs> Help me out here. Who isn't? Uh, Sorry, what? Oh, what do you look? Tom what Hanks. Look? Tom Hanks. Oh. oh yeah. Tom Hanks could do no wrong. Early 2000. <laughs> um, he was portrayed as like a hard assassin. Which the movie world couldn't like can't see him like that anymore. Like now he's like a soft grandpa or a grumpy grandpa. But you know, in the early two thousands, he could play like this uh, no nonsense assassin that just kills you in cold blood. And you know, if you if they tried to remake that movie now, they'd be and you tried to say, oh, you know, what about Tom Hanks? You'd get laughed out of the the studio. But it worked. And, you know, I'm so glad it was Tom Hanks because he's got that, that like, I'm a really good dad, but also I'm a very serious actor. And, you know, I can, you know, I look really good with a gun. (laughs) Yeah. So, and then, and then, so I see this movie and, you know, it's, it's beautiful. It's got a beautiful soundtrack full of Irish jig music and, um, you know, it's got some exciting gun scenes. And then I go into the black and white comic book. And there's barely any dialogue in the graphic novel. It's all yeah. telling stories with actions and frames. And I was really impressed with that. Um, the The graphic novel is actually a little bit more violent than the movie, which I'm okay with. But, you know, they get the same point across. So I have to say, like, dollars for donuts... Road to Perdition, the movie and the graphic novel, they're they're both shaking hands, they're both hugging it out, and it works. So, I actually yeah. put Road to Perdition like in my special top one movies, just <laughs> because I I really like how smooth, how simple, and how articulate it is. Mm. For sure, for sure. Okay. I mean, yeah, it's. It's great. It's it, yeah. It's a it's a good one. Um, I was actually surprised that you didn't put uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. I know that's I one was of your, yeah, I was thinking that was what he was going to write. A, <laughs> one of your favorites. That and uh, that and Watchmen. I know that that's a a favorite well, for you. 
Watchmen, I had my eyes closed through most of the bad scenes. <laughs> uh, fair, fair. Scott Pilgrim, you can't you can't put Michael Sarah, his genius, <laughs> into, a, <laughs> into a graphic novel. You know, there's there's too much disparity between the book and the movie. I love yeah. the movie so much, and I enjoy the book, but not for the same reasons. Yeah, so, for sure. No, I, I I'm totally bored. Yeah. Um. Chrono- uh, so, best adaptation from a book. I know so- uh, I was like, someone's going to pick Lord of the Rings, and that's cool. But, you know, let me take you back to early 2000s again when, you know, when as, as, a, as a family that was, had siblings that were homeschooled, uh, we rejoiced whenever Harry Potter had competition. So for the first three years, it was Lord of the Rings um, competing against Harry Potter. Well, blowing it out of the water. (laughs) My homeschool family, we rejoiced. We we made sacrifices. And then we were afraid because they ran out of Lord of the Rings. And then Chronicles of Narnia decided to come out. And uh, this is the one that really hit me because I remember in third grade, my third grade teacher reading this book to the class. So it had some special meaning to me. So when I actually saw the movie, I was actually very surprised that there wasn't anything really that they changed. Um, you know, it, it pretty much follows beat for beat. And it's got my two favorite themes, like World War II and, you know, large animal beasts uh, fighting in wars. And Liam Neeson. Yeah, and Liam Neeson. Yeah. So, you know, I, I really like how they portrayed Aslan. They portrayed the villain. It's just an all-star cast. And I was surprised uh, when I saw Santa Claus in the movie. That's, that I was about to say, that was the random thing out of the whole movie. I, I enjoyed the movie, but the one thing I would edit out would be Santa. I was like, uh-huh. Is he in the novel? I feel like... <laughs> He is in the novel, I'm told. Yeah. So that's just to me such a like a record scratch moment for me. I was like, what? Okay. I'll go with it. But and then shortly after Santa comes, you know, the introduction of like, yeah, our our main villain, but I'm just like, I don't think we're just trying to make a dichotomy there or what, but I don't know. I was just like I was just caught off guard by Santa showing up because I just didn't really see that him appearing in this world. But you know, still a great movie. Not taken away from the movie. That would just be the one thing that I would, the caveat, I would have like edited out. I would have said, eh, I appreciate it, but yeah, no Santa. As much I was thrown off by it, a part of me was like, this movie has guts. Mm. You know, this movie is, didn't even blink when it came to a chance to show Santa Claus. <laughs> so that's the movie I want to back in a fight. Yeah. Um, also, uh, as a side note, the amount of people that have, in conversation, told me that they're, um, <laughs> that they're, let's just say, awakening to the world of uh, romance is <laughs> was James McAvoy as a shirtless Mister Tumnus um, is not one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I've had several friends be like, yeah, that's, that really does it for him. And I'm like, okay, 
That's that. That's not the point of this movie, but I respect that. <laughs> that was the hook. That was the ticket sales. <laughs> yeah, just a shirtless uh, uh, James McAvoy. He wore a scarf uh, and he was shirtless. He was the perfect Abercrombie and Fitch model. <laughs> and, right? Yeah, really won over those fans. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it got him the votes, pushed him over the edge, got him into the uh, the Golden Compass. Yeah, serious. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so great. Yeah. So finally, my best TV show turned into a movie. Now, I actually came up with this question, and it really dawned on me that I can't think of more than three TV shows that turned into a movie. And I can't think of three that I like. But I did find this one. Mm. And there was this, this small show on Fire on Fox called Firefly. I loved uh, it. No one really, no one really remembers it. I remember it. I loved it. I was nobody pissed the day they canceled. I was pissed the day they canceled it. Nobody likes it. I loved it. I loved it. I was so <laughs> upset the day they canceled it. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Eston. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was so awesome. It was like Western meets sci-fi. Yeah. Well. So apparently there's this guy named Joss Whedon who was really big around 2012. <laughs> and uh, Getting high on Buffy. Yeah, he fell off the planet um, after he did this, this weird Superman movie, um, a.k.a. Justice League. But when <laughs> he, uh, back when he made Serenity, he was also knocking things out of the park. Like his, his way of doing comedy in action scenes, he was kind of like the Taika Watiti of his day. Sure. Like, I really think that uh, Taika really dethroned him. And now we, now we, we think that they're the same people, but they're really not. But, <laughs> you know, back when it was cool to like Joss Whedon, he was in charge of the Firefly show. And then he made Serenity. Um, I had not been too well versed in Firefly, though my dorm to really like it. So I gave Serenity a shot, and I was kind of blown away by how it had all these cool things. You know, it had a, a cool assassin that uses a katana and has, like, the speech planned. Um, it kind of goes into the backstory of River. And, you know, beat for beat, it was just a lot of fun. It was a great movie, yeah. It was a little bit off, a little bit out of sync with the TV show, um, mm-hmm. slightly from what the characters were kind of like the story arcs in the TV show. But um, yeah, just as a movie though, alone though, Serenity, it, it was a really good movie. Yeah. And it was, uh, did well with, you know, the Reavers and stuff like that. So it was a uh, good pacing throughout the movie too. You know, in, in today's movie days, they, they try to make everything more complicated than it was. And I just really appreciated that Joss Whedon, tried to make things less complicated in his movies. Like, you could really tell that all he cared about was fun. Yeah, right. A lot of the cast have actually, like, tried to um to revive it. Uh, yeah. Firefly. I mean, there's a lot of them, yeah, that have been, like, said, yeah. I know Nick actually tried to actually uh, buy the rights to it, so he can actually start it back up, using some of his own money. I've read in an interview. And, um, of all things, I had a friend of mine that went to the Star Wars um, celebration down in Florida, and Alan Tudyk was there signing autographs. So and when he went to get his autograph, he actually uh, 
told Alan, he's like, man, I want to let you know I really miss Firefly. And he looked up at him and said, you and me both. I hate they canceled it. And true story. Well, if you are looking for the multiple seasons, the graphic novels do a pretty good job of keeping up with uh, the theme of the show. Yeah, right. For sure. And I I just think it's funny that of all <laughs> the actors and stuff in, you know, these, these uh, this TV show and movie, but the, the one that went on to have the most successful career is Alan Tudyk, which is just so funny to me because I just felt like his character was just deeply unlikable. <laughs> <laughs> and um, which, I mean, probably is why he's doing such a great job in, in other projects. But um, yeah, it's uh, it it's great. I mean, it it definitely feels like Serenity and Firefly are must watch for key culture. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, for for sure. I mean, when you when you think of TV shows into movies, I really think of you know the this is one of the big three: the Serenity. I think the other one is you know you have to talk about Star Trek, and um, I, I think the the third one that you have to then talk about is Mission Impossible. I think those are the three; those are the three really big ones. And um, yeah, no, I I totally agree. Serenity is. And I, I like Serenity more. I feel like it's less pretentious <laughs> than Firefly, if that makes sense. Like, it's, um, I, I don't know. I Personally, I had a hard time watching Firefly. It, it It's just, I don't know. I It was just a hard watch for me. I understand why people like it. It's just a little weird for me. I like Westworld a little bit more. Uh, but uh, I think Serenity is great because it's, I think it's more contained. Um, you could sit, you could, you could get through it, and yeah, I think this is this is really great, and people should give it a chance. It was it was hard for me to see where Serenity fit into the timeline because when yeah. I was watching it, I had no idea that it was looking at the past. Mm. And that's what I mean by like it was kind of out of sync. Yeah. yeah. But like once someone explained it to me, and that's what I hate about TV, like movies made from TV shows, is like. If someone has to explain the TV show and catch me up to speed, then there's no reason I should see the movie. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah, I mean it's it's iconic. I mean, heck, you know, I mentioned them. I mentioned the movie earlier, Ready Player One, and actually, um, yeah, if I remember, uh, yeah, the Serenity ship is actually in Ready Player One. So I mean, it's it's gained iconic notoriety. Hmm. Well, speaking of books. And icons. Icons. We're here to, uh, you know, it's May, it's Marvel Month, well, at least is this week. Um, we're we're going to talk, we're going to go deep about the Marvel industry. Um, we're going to talk about Marvel's think tank. Like, what's the, what's the inspiration or, you know, what's the idea about their shows um, their movies? What What's going through the executives' heads? And we're going to look at uh, the whole superhero as its own niche um, and how it's so successful because of Marvel. So let's get to the meat of our show. First of all, can anyone explain just how massive that Marvel uh, has been on the superhero <laughs> movie market? 
I mean, it's definitely made a footprint. That is for sure. It is like, I mean, I think when people think about superhero movies at this point, it's just a knee jerk reaction. You think about, Oh, the Marvel movies. And, um, again, I think a lot of it started out with just like, I mean, we were talking earlier about one of my movies about timing. I mean, it was just perfect timing, having the Iron Man come out when it did and then having success and then Captain America. Cause I mean, when they advertised Captain America, I was thinking, okay, this is going to be a superhero movie. I mean, it's kind of come probably come out a little bit washing a lot, like the Spider-Man TV show series back in the eighties and stuff like that. It's going to be okay. You know, it's, it's entertaining. It's kind of hokey. I mean, but I went watching. I was like, bravo. I mean, whoever's writing this stuff and producing this stuff. I mean, this is like a next level. And, um, so it just, it really set a cadence for itself and, um, had the great timing and made a strong impact. It got out the gate running. I agree. We're, we're talking about the company that made it normal for two to three comic book movies to come out per company per year. Um, something that we were lucky in the early 2000s if one came out every eight years. Yeah. <laughs> so this is like amazing. Like you, I can't think of any company that made a genre of movie so desirable than Marvel. Yeah. I mean, the the only thing I think that comes to mind is Star Wars. Um, but you know that's where to get into perspective, right? Like the the total revenue for uh, Star Wars is uh, fifty one point eight billion, uh, split up among you know box office merchandise, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then uh, the MCU is valued at thirty one point three billion. Um, yeah, so I mean it's it's worth it's worth buku bucks. Yeah, and they've had great, and they've they they've held their own. I mean, in in the ring, if you will, because I remember when um opinions I had around my circle when Guardians of the Galaxy was coming out, people were like, "Who are the Guardians of the Galaxy?" I mean, people that didn't, you know, were not comic book readers. They're like, "Okay, this is going to be their first. They're, they're going to trip now. Their first trip on a route is coming up." And um, and then when they were like, it came out. I mean, I mean, I went and saw it in the theater. And, you know, for, you know, just put things in a perspective, I didn't know a lot about the actual Guardians of the Galaxy because I didn't read like every Marvel comic that ever came out growing up. And um, so I was actually like, wow, this is really a solid, you know, good movie, well written, entertaining. And um, so they've had some uh, not only just the actors to be in this league, but also the actual um, <laughs> the writing has just been like just next level. Yeah, and I think really what sets um, the MCU apart from, you know, DC, Dark Horse, you know, whatever comic book adaptation movies you want to talk about, I think the difference is um, the quality, at least, at least in the, like the first, you know, three phases. Um, well, first two phases, maybe yeah, three phases. Uh, just the the work of of Kevin Feige and um, 
putting together uh, just teams of, of people. And I, I think that when you talk about the NCC, you have to talk about three things. I think the first is that you have to talk about um, the casting. I think that the casting was really brilliant, at least in the first three phases, of taking actors that were relatively unknown and um, showing a lot of promise and putting them into promising roles. Like Robert Downey Jr., you know, of course, like right now, he's the top of the world, right? Like he's, you know, when people think of a movie star, they think of Robert Downey Jr., but he was not that when Iron Man came out, right? Like that was that was not who he was. Um, you know, Chris Evans was not a hustle name. You know, Scarlett Johansson, you know, she did a bunch of rom-coms, not a household name. Um, and... You know, Kevin Feige took these actors, and he saw he saw them um, for bigger than the sum of their parts, and um, they just had the the, the charisma to, to to carry. I mean, um, you know, he just it, it felt like everyone they picked in the in the phase one and two movies um, for for leads were just out of the park. Ch- Chadwick Boseman. Um, yeah, you know Chris Evans. Uh, they they even took like a, a floundering Hulk IP and they 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 salvaged it with Mark Ruffalo, um, and really took these people into to hustle names. Um, and then also they they took um, this. I think the second thing you then you then have to talk about is Kevin Feige's decision to pick uh, directors um, that were talented but were still able to be controlled by a studio um you know relative unknowns like john favreau had done just what chef before this Mm -hmm. um so like john favreau was like a relative new face you know same thing with you know james you know james gunn isn't who he is now then um the 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 russo brothers aren't who they are now then um so yeah so I, i think uh, and then the third thing is that they um, they really nailed, I think, the writing, and they they kind of stayed away from um, they, they they just really found a formula that worked uh, for audiences, and I really feel like they 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 really kind of honed in on it in the in the first you know three phases before it kind of became like a running joke, like MCU dialogue. Um, in writing, uh, but I, I think that they kind of really nailed it, um, mm-hmm. and they in that they they let their actors kind of really shine, and um, yeah, so I I I think that's why there's such a an iron grip, um, and I yeah, because I think they just had such a strong showing in you know the first phases mm-hmm. one, two, and three. Yeah, and I think too <clears throat> what helped out that grip too was the fact that they, uh, I mean, you named all those directors, uh, that, and also while they're all doing their own directing, their own individual movies, realizing okay, I'm going to make a name for myself too. Although I'm under the Marvel umbrella, you know, and I want to still put my product out and let people know, okay, this is you know my product, and this is going to be associated with me. At the same time, they're a part of the bigger picture. And making all this fit together because at some point parts A, B, C, and D all have to merge for, you know, this one big movie where we get, you know, everybody together under the one roof. Okay, now let's all part ways. And now let's all come back together under the one roof. And so there's story arcs involved in that 
And so the fact that they can kind of like storyboard that large of a uh, universe and have things sync so well that they come together and work for like the uh, like the Avengers movies and and, um, and like, you know, Captain America Civil War and stuff like that. So it is. Um, I mean, that's just, you know, that's that's bravo to be able to kind of like make those those lines uh, transcend and go divergent. Go do your thing for a little bit. But remember, you got to kind of keep it coming back and we got to hit that mark. And they yeah. they hit the mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like to look at the impact that Marvel made, and it forced every other like uh, industry to like follow suit. Like action movies weren't really that like hilarious before Marvel came on board, and now everyone's action movie leads at least three jokes per scene. Right. Like, that's totally a Marvel Disney collaboration there. Um, action movies used to be rated R and superhero movies used to be rated R and those were the good ones, right? We didn't like the, the fantastic four. We thought they were corny. Yeah. Now everyone's turning even their most rated R movies into PG 13s because they want a slice of that pie. Mm. Uh, so it's amazing how many tropes that are normal now because of Marvel. And now we're actually, we're trained now too as audiences because how many of us now actually look at one another when we're in a theater and we think, even though it's not a Marvel movie and think, should we stay to the end of the credits? Is there an end credit scene? We just naturally fast forwarding. If we're watching something you're streaming or we're in the theater and we like, we Google, is there an end credit scene? Because we're just, we're just so trained now. (laughs) Yeah. Before the stingers at the end, if someone wanted to say a movie was continuing, they wrote the end in a question mark after it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That let you know there was a sequel. Now every movie has like an Easter egg stinger at the end. Um, and it, it's amazing how normal that is. It's like, it's like if someone ever made a movie of just end credit stingers, I think it would people would love it because it just it would just have reveal after reveal after reveal. Yeah, yeah, we would get it. And I think Marvel even gets it themselves. I mean, they've become such a big entity that they actually, you know, they read the same emails. And so they actually, they can make laugh you know, about it and stuff. And like we had our moment where, you know, Captain America at the end stinger, you know, he says sometimes patience doesn't pay off. And then, you know, there actually was nothing there at the end except just Captain America talking to us. Yeah. So here's a fun fact about Stingers. Mm. Um, apparently, that shawarma comment at the end of the first Avengers movie boosted the sale of shawarma 80%. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. yeah. I believe it. Um, yeah, and, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to take anything away from MC, the MCU and the, the, the cultural impact that it had, but um, I, I really do think that Disney kind of just and Marvel just hit on a formula that I think plays best with target demographics um, that will spend money on watching things. Right. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's crazy to me because like you think about like DC, like DC and dark horse, um, maybe not necessarily in their, their, you know, their golden age, uh, but 
the, the, they've always portrayed themselves as the more mature option. Um, I, you know, I think DC deals with um, mm-hmm. just more of a, a depth of morality than than Marvel. I think Marvel can and it does do really great storytelling, but um, I would say that upfront that Marvel has always been kind of the sillier option. Um, right. I, I think it, I think it 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 does do serious storytelling, especially with like X Men and you know some some other IPs. Um, but DC has always portrayed itself as like you know the, the you know the one that would question morality and like yeah, this idea of like society. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And you know same thing with Dark Horse. And um, I, I think that that just doesn't necessarily play as well with general audiences. Um, right. You know, you can get you can get you know an eighteen to a thirty-five year old to go see the Batman, but you know you're not getting twelve-year-old Timmy off the street who loves playing Pokemon cards and Mario sixty-four or not Marcy. That was that was that was a little <laughs> that 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 was aged <laughs> myself a little bit. Uh, this afternoon, the the plays <laughs> Mario Super Mario Odyssey. Uh, <laughs> You know he's somebody, not going to somebody owns NSO. right? He's not going to go watch. He's not going to go watch the Batman. Um, but you know he's super excited about Guardians of the Galaxy three. Um, and yeah, I, I think just the, the the target demo is just, um, yeah, it, it's just ripe for Marvel and, um, and I I think that the the people that um. I think it's easier to know less about the comics to make a good movie with Marvel than it is with DC. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you need to really know your characters and your stories and what each hero represents in the DC universe than you do with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I know that that's probably going to make people mad, but you mm-hmm. have like like Batman is Batman. You cannot. He's immutable. What he stand for, what he stands for, what he does, he's immutable. But could you tell me, you know, what Thor, what what Thor acts like in the comics? I bet you couldn't. You know, you like know, he's... that brings up such a great point. And I think the day Marvel got in bed with Disney, Disney. I think with if it wasn't for Disney, Marvel would have tried to want to be like Batman Begins. Yeah. You know, they would have wanted, like, gritty movies for Punisher. Um, because, you know, their comics can get gritty. But I think yeah. the day they got in bed with Disney, Disney's like, look, everyone wants light and fluffy stuff. Um, not to say that Marvel doesn't have, like, these heart-wrenching moments. They really do. But, you know, you're, you're never going to see them get too, too dark because they have to get in that median yeah. Like cool enough to make a toy brand, um, and fun enough to make a sequel. Right? Yeah, they 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 play it safe when it comes to the drama. They have the drama, and they have their their you know poignant moments. But you can tell they they are holding their hand to play it safe. Mm-hmm. And darn it, you know, uh, Tony Stark could have given the gauntlet over to. Captain Marvel, she was right next to him. <laughs> or the Hulk. You know, is that really is he the only option? Come on, people. <laughs> um 
Yeah, I, I, I totally, I'm on board with all that you guys said, and um, I don't know. Do, do you guys have too much you want to to add into the understanding the, um, you know, why they 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 have such a grasp? Or do you guys want to feel ready to move on? Yeah, so, move. you Go know, ahead. phase three is all yeah. about dreaming, right? Um, yeah. Case in point, Doctor Strange. In order to understand the whole villains. The whole villain's like mo- motivation. You have to watch WandaVision, right? And so we have a, a new rule being played in the MCU. And I'm kind of glad that it hasn't caught on to anyone else. Um, but there's like this relationship now where you you kind of have to watch, um, you know, the Falcon and Winter Soldier to understand this movie you you know you might have to watch loki to understand this villain you have to watch wandavision and i mean it's cool cuz it shows a seamlessness between the whole universe and they're proving that yes you know this whole world makes sense um at the other times you know it's it kind of disqualifies People who just want casual movie watching. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean that that there's pros and cons to this Marvel world, and I say that for me, I feel it's a con. Not a con if you're someone that actually is like watches the TV shows and stays abreast of everyone that comes out and watches every little you know show that they have, um, even ones that aren't going to be necessarily considered canon because you are um, you're in the moment. You you know, you're caught up. You've read everything you needed to read, so you know exactly what references mean, what winks are being added, what that wink means, and um, so you can grasp it and you can understand it. And that's why, like when we watched, um, you know, the Doctor Strange multiverse, I was uh, rather lost in it because um, I was going into it thinking that it was going to be like a, the Doctor Strange movie, like I saw prior. Um, you know, the actual, the character establishment movie to a level. I realize you're not going to establish this character. I mean, yeah, granted that's sad, but I mean, I thought it was going to be on the same kind of like uh, caliber and what Sam Raimi did um, caught me off guard. Um, maybe in past reviews, I've been verbally a little bit too harsh on the movie. Um, you know, I still won't watch it again because, you know, once was enough for me. Um, but I will say that like, as far as I have a lot of people factually tell me, Oh, you should have won one division. Then you would have understood a lot more. I, I had that said to me so much that it kind of made me feel like, okay, maybe a little bit like, you know, I'm not necessarily have a Marvel burnout, but maybe I, by the mission of me not being able to, to be able to sit down and watch every TV show that's put out there, Marvel is moving away from me. <laughs> right. Right. And, you know, we've, we've spoken about this before. But the idea that you have homework that you got to do to enjoy a movie, um, to some people, that homework doesn't feel like homework. To other people, it's like, my goodness, why <laughs> do I have to do all this work just so I could watch Avengers 3? Yeah, and I, um, you know, as far as the, uh, I'm glad the TV shows are there and they can explore things. Um it gives a platform on Disney Plus for them to explore minor stories or do more character development or enrichment that you can't do on a big screen. Um, and it allows you many episodes out by being a TV show that you can actually pace it and dissect what story art you want to do in this, 
you know, character enrichment. Uh, however, you know, if you, like you just said, I mean, if you're not willing to go along with that uh, homework and sacrifice your time, if you will, or, you know, if you're enjoying it, it's not sacrificing it. But I mean, if you don't have the time, you know, it is some bit of a sacrifice of time to sit down and watch all this just so you can have the payoff, which like, okay, I can go into this next movie and I can enjoy it just as much as the person sitting next to me and not feel like I have to have things explained to me after the movie. Oh, okay. Now I understand. And, mm-hmm. um, and that, I mean, I wish that they would just do a little bit more kind of even playing field for that. So if you watch those TV shows, it's more of optional and you can enjoy it and take it for what it's worth. But if you go into the next movie, then, um, yeah, there might be total count 15 minutes where you might be like, oh, I would have got that more if I watched the TV show, but not the main upending story arc. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing I've often wondered is living in the Marvel Universe is a nightmare. Every week, like, reality is threatened. Not like... <laughs> one building blows up but like all of life on earth is like in jeopardy and like to people living just like in a major city that must be a nightmare like there must be so many counselors in the like ptsd counselors yeah and now you understand why yeah the probably the end of the uh, avengers movie while they probably when they were having their shawarma while none of them were actually saying anything. They were just sitting there quietly eating. <laughs> right. And now that we have like four movies a year, like <sighs> as a as normal citizen of Earth, that's four times the whole universe and fabric of reality was threatened. <laughs> <laughs> that's awful. Like no one can live in a world like that. They're all going to be alcoholics. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, I... I don't know. I I don't want to I don't want to yuck anyone's yum. You know, I don't want to rain on people's parade, but um man, I'm just going to say it. And hey, I'm I'll, I'll take the flack. I'll take the flack for it. I I really didn't think that WandaVision was that good. And I don't really think it made a difference if you saw it or not, if you saw Doctor Strange. I think they explained it perfectly well in Doctor Strange. Um, yeah, they didn't want to leave you out in the cold. And um, I also don't think that there's... I think there's maybe, like, three Marvel TV shows that are worth watching. <laughs> uh, Loki being one of them, Punisher being the other, and Daredevil being the third. Like, I don't, I don't think any other Marvel TV show has been worth my time to watch. Um. Uh, uh, I I don't know. I, I don't know. It's gonna. That's gonna. That's gonna. It's gonna put me in some hot water. But I also think that it's. Um. Part of it is also. I think the TV shows are emblematic of the problem that we're seeing with Marvel fatigue now, and especially mm-hmm. into kind of what you saw in, in the end of phase the end of phase three into phase four. Like if we look at all the movies that came out in phase four, most of them were not weren't that great. Like Black Widow wasn't good. Chang <laughs> Chi was great. Eternals was bad. Spider Man No Way Home was good. 
Doctor Strange the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, it's okay. Thor Love and Thunder wasn't great. I personally really liked Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I think it's a little too early to to tell how good or how bad or um you know how important it is to the to the cinematic universe. Um but then Ant-Man and the Wasp was just bad. <laughs> it, it just mm. was. And um I think that there it's I think it's the end result of some cracks that were being shown in phase 2 and phase 3 um where um I think if you were paying attention the the problem is as these characters and actors are moving on like Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr, Scarlett Johansson, you know, Chris Hemsworth, Jeremy Renner, Mark Ruffalo, um you know, rest in peace Chadwick Boseman um, I think that you're seeing a lot of the the heart and the charisma move out of the series, and the people that they're expecting to carry now into the future just don't have the strength to do it. Um, like I don't know, the Brie Larson and Anthony Mackie, and I don't know, the, the, well, it, I don't know, I, it doesn't feel like they they have it. Like Paul, like Paul Rudd. Um, I don't know. I you, you look at all these the movies that came out in Phase Four, and you know these these characters. Like I don't know. I I just don't see them carrying. Like none of them are must see TV. Yeah, it's understandable. You know, I think you know the whole idea of a Marvel or a universe of anything assumes that like you have this director who's grinding away on projects, right? And these directors, they probably want to do their own projects. They probably want to graduate from the universe. I know, like, the Russo brothers will never, like, I see their stuff on different projects, and I'm like, ooh, I wonder if they still have that magic touch. And so it's it's weird because, like, movies were never meant to be, like, this 12-year project. You know, there was more like you do three of them and you're done. Or if you're Fast and Furious, you you do 12 of them over 30 years. And you're never done. You're um, never done. Yeah. Well, and I I don't, I think that there's a, a part of that that I think is, is true. But I, I think it's also as true as other people are trying to get into it, if that makes sense. Like it. Like it feels now, it's become like a bucket list sort of thing for actors to get in on the MCU, right? You know what I mean? Like, it 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 just feels that way. Like you look at Eternals, right? Um, yeah. And I, I just feel like the Eternals is the perfect example of everything that I have a problem with with the MCU. Whereas, like, one, I I think that the actors that they got were I think they're very accomplished actors. Um mm-hmm. I mean you, you can't say that you can't say that, you know, these these the people that they cast aren't like, you know, Kit Harrington, Angelina Jolie, Selma Hayek, these are household names. Um but it just it didn't it didn't feel it didn't feel like they cared. Um and it didn't feel like you know, and, and like Chloe Zhao, the the director, she's, you know, an incredible director. Um, she's an incredible person. Um and you know, I don't I you know, I don't wanna you know, I don't I don't wanna, you know, just hate 
Um, but hate on her. But it's it, I don't know. The Eternals were just it just isn't good. <laughs> and I I think it's because it it I don't know. It feels like Marvel is too it's too big for itself and it can't stand on its own legs. And the the, the like my my fundamental problem is that it it just feels like all the charisma and the the razzle dazzle is just gone, and um I don't I don't know what that that looks like I don't know how they recover from it. Um, and you're I, kind of saying like they had a great recipe there for a while, and they decided to like invariably they had to change the recipe because people moved on, and now it just just doesn't taste right. Yeah, it just, just something's off. I think that they're trying to do the same old recipe, but the ingredients that they're using aren't the same quality. Um, And people, you know, people shouldn't have phoned in. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to say that about Taika Waititi, but, you know, Thor Love and Thunder did not live up to expectations. Um, It definitely, it definitely felt like, you know, Taika, it felt like part of it of Taika phoning it in, and part of it felt like a lot of studio involvement. And it's true. Um, uh, yeah, and you know, I, I, I don't know what that means going going forward. I mean, I don't know. How do you how do you guys feel? Do you, do you feel like I don't know? Does anything I say that resonate with you guys, or I don't know? Do you, do you disagree? <laughs> well, I think what happened is. You know, 2012 came, and they were mm. doing something amazing, right? Something mm-hmm. fresh. Yeah. You know, and it succeeded. And then, you know, once something's successful, it makes you a lot of money. It's yeah. You don't want it to become – it's no longer a fresh idea. Now you have to turn it into a formula. Yeah. So once you turn something into a formula, then it starts to become way too – you know, common, you know, right. It, it's kind of like, I hope lightning strikes twice. Right. And so I think, you know, Marvel, I think they're really trying to like, they're, they're trying to get that magic back that they had in 2012 and with Endgame, And, you know, pretty soon they're going to run out of, you know, they're going to go down the wrong they're going to go down like they're going to try something new and it's going to fail or, you know, or maybe, maybe like something like a, a movie universe. It's not meant to last forever. I mean, as much as we love the four superheroes per company per year. Yeah. Deal. Like, I mean, there was a time in the early 1900s when cowboy Westerns were great. And, were they thinking, man, this is going to last forever? <laughs> now, now we're lucky to get one per five years. So, right. you know, I think it's a healthy view to say, you know, this this is going to fizzle out one day. And that's okay. You know, what's the next big thing? Movies yeah. based on toys? Looking at Maybe. you, Barbie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But. The, I don't know. The, the the problem though is, I I think that the quality I I don't know. I just don't see I, I don't see the quality ramping up. Um, with the, with the exception I think of the Loki TV show, and hopefully the you know the Secret Invasion TV show. Um, but you know 
Quantumania is critically the the worst MCU movie, and it made it still made four hundred and seventy four million dollars. Like it, it I unfortunately like I don't think it matters at this point. You know, like I don't know, I don't know if Marvel care. Like until it starts to take hits in the box office, nothing's changing. Yeah, that's you know, what'll be the main thing that will change it. Like you said, when the money starts really tanking, that's when they'll start saying, "Okay, maybe we need to either like realize we've like kind of potentially oversaturating our market, you know, where we put like per se franchises on every corner, and so now people are just kind of like, yeah, you know, I've had it, I've ate it enough to where now maybe we just need to like uh, dial it back and release less throughout the year." So that way it is more of a contained release and so that way it, it's it still feels special and we build back up the hype for it's like oh i'm looking forward to the next one i'm looking forward to the next one and it becomes less of the uh, potential like you know well i don't really necessarily gotta look forward to it i know you know and uh you know i'm gonna get them q4 here or you know four times a year so um you know that's uh it's coming you know no need to be you know get too hyped i mean i know it's gonna happen so i just gotta just it's coming and yeah. um so yeah, there's something to be said about that that kind of like consumerism psyche. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like the the desire for more content. Like there was a time when we had to wait 4 years for a new Star Wars and that was okay and then we had to wait 15 years for a new Star Wars. Um now we just wait a month and there's a new series. Um so everything like everything that makes a consumer smile immediately turns into a new script a new like million dollar project <laughs> and it's getting turned out month after month you know and it's hard to sustain quality when you're doing that because you i mean yeah. you you either you have a lot of overwatch to make sure the quality is always there on these multiple projects or you're so busy that you know all you care about is you know the benjamins so you're just like all right well no as long as we got the money coming in you know just do what you want to do just you know put you know butts and seats <laughs> yeah yeah and for for me i i think it's you know that my my two closing thoughts are you know one for you know t- for the people that disagree with me one who would you say now is the the face of of the franchise right i know before you would point to to rdj easily now and he you know he carried it with perfectly now i don't know i don't think that you could I don't think there's anybody that that fills that void, and um, yeah. So I, I I don't know. I don't I don't think that there's any actor or actress that has stepped into that, and I don't think that there's anybody that you know is is charismatic enough to carry it. And I think that that's showing in the quality of of you know the films that we're seeing and the TV shows that we're seeing. And secondly, um, that my question then is like, you know, is it you know, is it too much? And I think it is. I think there's just too, there's too much to care. And, you know, imagine, you know, imagine being eight years old and being like, oh boy, you know, my, my older brothers love, you know, this Marvel stuff. Now I have to watch the equivalent of my lifetime of media to catch up. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's the, the bar for entry is too high. And um, I, I think it's going to start leaving people behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll close with the fact that I understand our Discord. I understand that there are diehard Marvel fans 
there are there are the people that like truly believe that Marvel is on the right track and they're going to keep watching and you know I'm I'm happy that you found your your spring of eternal youth <laughs> um, and you know I I hate to say it but like I know I'm part of the minority but like this minority is growing a little bit more every day where people people are like you know I used to follow all that marvel stuff and then I saw the cost and you know once you 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 kind of weigh in the cost you're like ah it's better to have loved and lost than to never loved, <laughs> never at, loved all. at all. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I do also want to say that, yeah, I know I probably said a lot of haters. <laughs> I, I hate it on Marvel. But I also have, you know, tickets for opening night for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. So, you know, I at, the, at my heart, I am a fan. And I just want it to be good, you know. Right. And yeah, I was going to say. Plus survivor do you think or disney plus subscriber do you think i'm there for the disney shows no <laughs> yeah uh, that's that's like for me like closing thing i say it's just like i mean i'm actually in a marvel um universe draft and so i mean i'm you know obviously i'm a marvel fan um yeah, I don't have Marvel burnout per se. Uh, I've gotten to a point now where I, just because of time, I do cherry pick which Marvel movies I go and uh, watch or what Marvel shows I try and do catch. I mean, I've been very lax when trying to catch the Marvel shows. But yes, I want to see the new Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, definitely want to see that one. And part of two for me as far as like with the Marvel TV shows. Yeah, I'm a Disney Plus subscriber. Um, I'm getting a lot of interference and in trying to watch it because when my time comes and I'm like, well, you know, there's, you know, I want to watch this or do I want to watch something Star Wars? Um, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I'm not going to make any apologies. I am who I am. I mean, when it comes to Marvel or Star Wars, you know, my blood runs the Star Wars much more any day of the week. And so I'm going to watch my Star Wars shows and um, before I watch my Marvel shows. So that's why the Marvel stuff falls off by the side. But, um, you know, for people that do keep up with it, um, you know, I appreciate y'all wholeheartedly because I will rely upon y'all as a wealth of information to catch me up to speed on things. And so I want to say definitely thank y'all for watching it because I will be that person that will come up to you and be asking questions to fill me in. Absolutely. Yeah. And. Is you know as much flack as we give it, uh, we are talking about the company that is doing it the best. <laughs> so, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, like it's not like we're saying, oh, but you know, DC is totally killing them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are you know there are strengths and weaknesses, but if you follow the money, you know, Marvel's winning. And hand over foot. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. It is. Uh, hand over yeah. fist. Sorry, not yeah. what was I thinking? <laughs> um, you know, ninety percent of us have a Disney Plus account mm. for Star Wars and Marvel. Like, we're not there to get like Cheetah Girls reunion. <laughs> <laughs> no offense if you are, but you know, yeah. you're in the minority. I mean, uh, Peter and Wendy probably it was a is a great movie, but you know, that's not what justifies the thirteen dollars a month. <laughs> Um, so anyways great new format guys love it 
Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Thank you all for listening in for our uh, for our show as we talk about Marvel and and hopefully uh, you agree with some of what we said. And if uh, you know if you didn't agree with things we said, then we uh, you can reach out, connect with us. We're on the discords on the RetroLogic Discord for one. Um, reach out and catch a lot of us on there. Um, I go by the handle Solo something. So if you want to uh, say your piece, we welcome it. I uh, definitely know everyone has their opinion and everyone's opinions are valid. So definitely uh, we have asked for your feedback on that and asked for your feedback actually on the show, um, mm-hmm. the new format and anything like that. Any feedback, um, you know, if you want to give negative feedback, welcome that. We just ask that it be in a critical format. So that's actually something more than just like, you know, these guys suck. We just ask, yeah, definitely something that we can uh, we can use and discuss and build off of. Yeah. 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 Like, if you're not part of our Discord, um, there's a lot of great conversations on the RetroLogic Discord. And people are always talking about movies in our FilmLogic channel, about they want movies they want to see, things they want to get all excited about. So, uh, you know, bring your conversations over to there. We'd love to have you. Links will be in the description. Um, we should also thank Tim, uh, who is a ghost. Um, he's our angel investor. Mm. Um, you might have remembered him from the first previous episodes of Film Logic, but he helped us a lot with the format of this show. So if you like it, you know, thank him. If you hate it, it's our fault, not his. <laughs> it's yes. Our... I wasn't going to go there, but I guess the cat's out of the bag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, he told us that specifically. He says if yeah. you're successful, you know. <laughs> Then you know, make sure you stamp my name on everything. If it fails, you know, make sure that you guys are full aware that you are going to, you know, have the responsibility of that. So, yeah, we we know how it's going to fall out. So please go back and leave multiple positive reviews and multiple things that you love about this new format. Um, for our jobs are on the line. And if you haven't rated us on, yeah, I don't know, Apple or any of those ones. We would love it if you do it. Who knows? Your review might bump us from our 20 listens per week to 21 listens per week. You know, you might have that kind of impact on us. We'd love it. But anyways, be honest and truthful. Um, We'll see you again. See you again in two weeks as we talk about, you know, I said at the beginning of the month or the beginning of the episode that it's, you know, Marvel May. Uh, should we continue this uh, this trend going through May, guys? Uh, I think for the next one, maybe we should think about like uh, doing a Mando May. I want to talk about oh, Mandalorian. Man. Yeah, I'm dying to talk about. I'm, uh, I'm dying to talk about Mandalorian. Crap! I have homework. <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Uh, come see me. I'll get you caught up to speed, Mike. Okay, great. Anyways, thank you for listening. My name is Mike. I'm Adam. I'm Eston. And thank you for listening to Film Logic. Pew. Night. <laughs>